you children in the, in the gathering today. I uh, even practiced looking right at this row this week because I knew that's where the, a bunch of them always sit. So thanks for staying where I always remember you. <laughs> you guys are always here with us in worship and sometimes you might feel like the sermon time is the time where you get to just sit and be quiet and read a book or color and let the grown-ups have their learning time. But we want you to know that God also made you to understand the marvelous things that He has done in Christ. And today's text assumes that kids are part of the gathering and that they will be listening and that they can respond in faith. So, my goal today is to weave a little more conversation in with the children as well as continuing to challenge all of the adults in order that we would all have a more childlike faith. So, let's pray quickly together. God, humble our hearts. Make us like Jesus, a beloved Son of God, in whom you are well pleased, Father. Give us your Spirit now, that my words would encourage, convict, and draw our hearts towards Jesus. And may you open the ears and the hearts of all in here, that they would hear your word and be transformed in mind, in spirit, and in body to be like Christ. Amen. So every week for the last few years, our family has had a family movie night, pizza and a movie night, usually on Fridays, right Grace? And uh, it's been really enjoyable for us to check out the movies, enjoy Mama's homemade pizza. Uh, We've seen quite a few movies over the last few years together. Many not so good. And we talk about the good things and the bad things in some of these movies. And unfortunately, one thing I've noticed about movies that many kids like to watch these days is that they carry a common theme that, uh, as a father, I don't really appreciate. Most movies or TV shows that children today watch inspire kids to find their own identity by rejecting the authority of their parents. Think about some of your favorite Disney characters, Mulan and Moana, even Pinocchio or Nemo, Belle, Aladdin, Jasmine, Ariel. The common theme among all these characters is that the traditional authorities that they're expected to obey, they need to reject them to find their true self. The story is told in a way that makes parents look like fools. Like they don't understand you, kids. And the way they tell the story is done to make you cheer for the kid, to say, yes, do it. Don't listen to your dad and mom. Now, certainly to create some drama to make the movie last longer than ten minutes, the child does get into a little trouble because of their disobedience. But ultimately, in the long run, it works out better for the child that they disobeyed. And then the parents are the ones who kind of come around and say, oh, you were right. I shouldn't have held you back. So this common theme is that nobody can tell you kids what to do. That you should follow your own heart. Don't listen to your parents. They don't know what's best for you. But kids, God says in the Bible that you must obey your parents. That what is best for you is to learn to listen to your parents. 
God gave you parents not just to protect you and give you food and a place to sleep, but to teach you how to submit to God's authority. God gave you parents so that you can be a living parable of childlike faith in the promises of God. So let's look together today at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, and find out what God commands you children. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3 might be a, a familiar verse to some of you kids. At least in our house, we quickly make our kids memorize Ephesians 6, 1 and recite it back to us. But I want to go through it slowly now and show you how important it is for God, uh, for you to obey your parents. I can't believe we're already through five chapters of Ephesians together. Seven months we've been meeting together and we're to the last chapter of this book. So, we'll start Ephesians chapter 6 this week, in verses 1 through 3. Follow along with me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. This is the word of the Lord. Now, as we have seen over the last few weeks, we're working from this idea in Ephesians 5.21 that Christians are to be a submitting type of people. In everything we do, we should have a spirit of submission. So, Paul started off telling wives that they need to submit to their husbands. And then, husbands submit to the Lord in their leading of their wives. And now, we learn how kids, in turn, submit. So I've broken this text down into three parts. First, we'll look at the command. And then, second, the reason why kids should obey this command. And then, finally, the motivation Paul gives for obeying. What's the encouragement he gives to us? So in verse 1 are the command and the reason. And verses 2 and 3 provide that motivation. So let's look at verse 1. Read it again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. The first thing to notice is that he's talking to children. Paul is writing to the children in the gathering. The word particularly means children in the home under the authority of their parents. Now, if you're an adult who is a child of someone at some point, you should still strive to honor your father and mother in your actions in the words that you speak about them. But particularly, Paul here is especially concerned with those within a household unit. So kids, younger kids, who are still required to obey their parents and do what they command. I find it interesting, after five chapters of marvelous theological insight, this cosmic wisdom about Christ unifying everyone into one body. He still assumes that he has children's attention. So when the church gathered early on, they would all get together and they heard, oh, Paul wrote us a letter. Let's sit down together. Everyone, including their kids, would join them. And someone would stand up front and just read the letter. This is what God commands to us. And Paul, when he was writing, assumed that kids would be part of that. And he assumed that kids would be able to listen and respond, especially after he gave such great theological depth. 
he expected that kids would be paying attention well enough to grasp what he was under commanding. So this is one reason why we expect kids to be with us in worship at Redemption City Church. We want children in here. We believe that you kids can understand far more than most people give you credit for. You kids know, hear what we're saying even when it doesn't look like you're p- paying attention. Even if there's kids in the aisle coloring, they're picking up the words. And not only that, kids see our facial expressions and watch our body language. They know what's important to us, even if it doesn't look like they're watching. And Paul assumes, after five chapters of theological exposition, that kids are still sitting there paying attention, and he can give them a simple command. So what is this simple command he gives? It's obey your parents. It's not too complicated. Obey your parents. To obey means to hear words that your parents speak and submit yourself to them. Do what their words say. So if your parents' kids tell you to stand up right now, you ought to stand up. If your parents tell you when you get home, it's time to take a bath, the Bible says you need to go take a bath. If you're sitting around the dinner table and your parents say, here's some Brussels sprouts, eat them. You are commanded by God to eat your Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so, does that mean you need to obey your parents in everything, no matter what they tell you to do? Yes, it does. Paul wrote to children in another church called in the city of Colossae. In Colossians 3.20, he says, Children, obey your parents in everything. No, we have talked before. If someone in authority over you tells you to do something sinful, you should obey God rather than men. That's true. But what's important is that you have an attitude that wants to obey all the time. You have such a submissive spirit because you want to submit to God. So if your parents command you to do something sinful, you're conflicted inside. You want to obey your parents. You really want to, and you show it on your face. Say, Mom, Dad, I want to obey you, but I can't do this because then I would be disobeying God. Because you know that submitting to God is the most important thing. And you try to submit to your parents as often as you can in obedience to God. In fact, the way that Paul commands Obedience here doesn't simply mean to obey when your parents tell you what to do, when they say, go take a bath. It actually means to be obeying all the time, continually obeying, always looking for an opportunity to obey your parents, even when they're not watching. If you have this obedient attitude, you're looking for ways to obey before your parents even ask. So you wake up in the morning and your bed is a mess. You make your bed without them asking you to make your bed. You clear the table after dinner without your parents saying it because you want to obey. Or you help care for your brothers and sisters because you know it would be really helpful to mom and dad. You do this not because you don't want to get in trouble. You do it because you have a heart that loves to submit. If you have trusted in Christ and you submit to Him, You will want to submit to others as often as you can. So that leads us to the reason why you should obey your parents. 
Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about other people who are supposed to submit. And we'll see in the coming weeks as well, every one of these people in these verses, wives, husbands, children, parents, slaves and masters, all of them are accountable to the Lord. So obeying your parents is the way that you show you have submitted to the Lord Jesus. If I were to ask you kids, do you love Jesus? You shouldn't just say, yeah, I love Jesus. You should say, I love Jesus. Now watch me obey my parents. That's how you show you love Jesus. Additionally, the relationship between parents and children isn't just where you prove you love Jesus, but it's training you for submissive, obedient adulthood. If you can't learn how to submit to your parents, even in the most basic level of society, how are you going to ever learn to submit to the government, to your employer, to the church, and ultimately to God? Pastor John Piper says, writing to parents, encouraging parents to expect obedience from their children, he wrote, Parents represent God to small children, and it is deadly to train children to ignore the commands of God. Parents represent God to small children, and it is deadly to train children to ignore the commands of God. He's seen so many people who tell their kids to do something, and the kids don't do it. And then the parents don't do anything about it. They don't expect obedience. Parents, expect your children to obey. If you tell them to do something, go brush your teeth, and they pretend they don't hear you or they go do something else, and you don't respond in authority over them, you're training them to ignore authority. To a small child, their world consists mostly of their home. And their parents are the smartest, most powerful, most influential people that exist. So in their own little world, parents are God. And a wise parent will recognize this reality and use it carefully for God's purposes. Kids naturally, until about the age of seven, practically worship their parents. I used to feel really guilty about this, that my kids just look up to me. They think I'm the strongest person in the world. They come to me for comfort. They tell people how I'm the greatest person that ever lived. And I feel bad about this, like I'm stealing God's glory. And I realized, this is how God designed it. This is where they learn to submit to Him. This is where they learn to obey. They learn to respect authority. But eventually, it's our job as parents to help them transfer that submission from us to other areas of life and ultimately to God. If a child doesn't learn to eventually transfer that worship from his parents to other places, if he doesn't learn to submit to government, he'll become a menace to society and have to suffer the consequences for law-breaking. If a child doesn't learn to transfer his submissive spirit from parents to an employer, then he will have a hard time keeping a job and providing for himself and others. If he doesn't learn to transfer that submissive spirit from his parents to the church, how will he learn to open up himself and be vulnerable to receive rebuke? and guidance from the church. If your kids don't learn to transfer your submission from your parents to God, ultimately, 
your own souls are in danger of eternal punishment. Parents, it's important for us to realize that the best, most powerful example that kids have on how to submit to mom and dad is all of us here. How we submit to God. When they see us here, gathering together, this is where they ultimately learn how to submit. That's another reason why we want kids with us in worship. They see how we submit to God. They see how we repent of our sins. Is repentance simply just saying sorry and not making a big deal out of it? They see how we lean on one another to help us obey and how we delight in laying down our preferences to receive direction from God. And when they see us do that as adults, it's more likely that they'll be able to do that in the home. Now, ultimately, I find this rather interesting. Paul says the, most, the basic reason why children should obey is because, for, it is right. This is right. He doesn't give a lot of explanation here. He just says, obey your parents because I said so. He just says that's how the world works. Don't you hate it when you ask, when your parents tell you what to do and you say, why, Mom? And they say, because I said so? Doesn't that make you so frustrated? I remember many times saying, Dad, just tell me the reason. What's the point? And he said, because I said so. And Paul says here, it is legitimate for your parents to say, because I said so. Now, side note, parents, it may not always be best to say, because I said so. As kids get older, they might need a little more explanation on how to transfer their submission from you to other areas of life, and a good explanation will be helpful for that. But kids, because I said so is legitimate. Because you need to first learn how to obey your parents without question before you can ever appeal respectfully for a better answer. It's for your own good that you learn to say, yes, Mom, yes, Dad, without asking why. Because when you grow up, when you're an adult, there are going to be many times where you are going to call out to God in pain or He tells you to do something that you don't understand. Someone rebukes you and you, it hurts. And you want to say to God, why? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you telling me this? It's not fair that the other person gets a life better than mine. And you need to learn to say, I trust you, God. I don't need an answer. In Romans chapter 9, Paul is explaining this great theological mystery that God has chosen some people for salvation and not others. And some people are getting quite upset about that. That's not fair. Why did they get all of the blessings promised to Israel and not us? That's not fair. And Paul responds in verse 20, Who are you to answer back to God? Will the, what, the molded, what is molded say to the molder? Will the little piece of clay say to the great potter? Why have you made me like this? Basically, God is telling us adults too, because I said so. He says, don't ask questions, just trust me. And that's why it's vital for you kids to learn to obey your mom and dad without question. 
so that when you get older, you can say, I trust you, God. I don't understand, and I don't need to understand, because you are good and I trust you. So let's look at verses 2 and 3 and find out how God expects us to trust him, why he wants us to trust him. When God says, obey me without question, it's not like he's this cold-hearted tyrant saying, you better obey or else. He gives us a promise. He shows, I have kept my promises in the past, and I am promising you a great future. I will keep that promise. You don't need to know all the details, but trust me. It's for your good. So in the first half of verse 2 and then all of verse 3 are this command and promise that are directly quoted from Exodus chapter 5, or chapter 20 in Deuteronomy 5, the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. So Paul quotes it saying, I'm not making this up, guys. This is what God has commanded His people from, from the beginning of Israel's existence. But he adds in this little parenthetical statement at the, the last half of verse 2 to make an important motivational point for us. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise. God gave 613 commands in the Old Testament. Just this massive list of things that they needed to do. And he says, but this one is the first one that if you do this thing, there are great blessings coming your way. So what is this great promise in verse 3? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So God promises that if you obey your parents, you're going to have a better life. A long life filled with blessings. But before you let your imagination go too wild, we should probably ask what that means. Does it mean that we're guaranteed to live a long time and have a prosperous life if you obey your parents? That's quite uh, a big gamble. What happens in your early childhood days affects the rest of your life. So, we've got to look a little bit at the context of the Old Testament. And we find out that this promise was specifically related to the people of Israel in the promised land, under God's law. The phrase, in the land, in verse 3, is the quote from the fifth commandment saying, in the promised land of Canaan. So, in Deuteronomy 28, Moses gives a bunch of blessings and curses. Blessings in the land of Israel if they obey God, and curses in the land if they disobey. If they obeyed, they would have prosperous cities, bountiful harvests, increased flocks of sheep and cattle, fertile wombs, defeated enemies, thriving businesses, health, wealth, peace. But if they disobeyed, all of this stuff would be taken away from them. They would actually be taken out of the land, as actually happened. But specifically for children, if children were repeatedly disobedient, refused to listen to their parents, cursed their parents, the punishment was quite severe. To put it as mildly as possible for you kids, their time in the land was short. But Paul takes that promise that it will go well with you if you obey your parents and brings it into the New Covenant. So what does that mean for us, New Covenant believers? If you obey your parents, what does it mean that you will live long in the land? What is he doing with these promises? 
Some of your Bibles, if you're not using the ESV, others translate in the land as on the earth. Totally legitimate translation. But some people are trying to translate to avoid the confusion of promising kids that they have to move to Israel and live a long time there. So what does it mean that we will live long in the land? Does it mean on the earth? You're just going to live a long time here. Well, in one sense, there's some truth to the idea that if you obey your parents, your life will go better. Kids who grow up under the authority of two parents and obey them are much more likely to graduate from high school and college. They're much more likely to avoid going to jail and have stable jobs and avoid serious illnesses and risky behaviors. So it's not a guarantee that you'll have a better life, but the chances are pretty good that your life will be much longer if you learn to obey your parents. But ultimately, the promise of living long in the land is not in this world. Israel's promised land was a foreshadow, a type, or a model. A model is something that's small, that represents something far bigger. So at home, we have a globe that represents, it's a model of the earth. And we can hold it in our hands, but really, it's million times bigger than that. And so, in the land is a promise that one day, the whole earth will be covered with goodness. One day, God's going to make everything new. There will be no more suffering, no more crying, no more sin and death. He's going to bring heaven down to earth and we will live at peace with happiness in Jesus forever. So the reward for obeying your parents in the Lord, for submitting to your parents while submitting to Jesus, is that you will live forever in the new heavens and new earth. Isn't that a great promise that inspires obedience? If you obey your parents, you get to go to heaven forever. But you kids, many of you probably already know that you don't obey your parents all the time, do you? And you don't deserve the reward. Now, some people like to argue with Christians claiming that we are inconsistent in our discipline. That if we were cons- follow the Bible consistently, we would stone our children for disobedience. Like the Old Testament law commanded. But these people don't realize when they say that what the point of the Old Testament law was. Why God gave Israel the law and how it was fulfilled in Jesus and how we live in Christ today. So the most important thing I want all of you kids to know is that if you are in Christ, you are no longer under that law. You have no need to fear your parents' punishment or God's punishment if you trust in Jesus. All of the curses and punishments that the law commanded on kids who disobeyed, Jesus took upon Himself on the cross. Jesus always obeyed His heavenly Father. And in keeping with the law, He always obeyed His earthly mommy and daddy. But instead of receiving all the rewards that were promised to kids who obey, He took on the curse of punishment and death on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, He was punished by the Father as though He were the one who disobeyed, even though it was you who disobeyed. 
But if you trust in Jesus, He can forgive you for every time you disobeyed mom or dad. And every time you will ever disobey. You will be forgiven in Christ. But your parents still might need to discipline you once in a while to teach you, to show you what obedience is, to help pull you back on the path of righteousness. But the ultimate punishment for your sins, for death, is death. That was taken away by Jesus on the cross. So kids, we delight in having you with us in worship all the time because we believe, like the Apostle Paul did, that you can understand these words and that you can respond in faith and that the same Holy Spirit that's alive in every one of us adults who trust in Jesus can live in you too. So even while you're coloring and fidgeting, I trust that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart so that Jesus will forgive you and by the power of that Spirit you can obey your parents in the Lord. Now let me conclude with a word to all of us adults in here. I want to plead with you to let kids be with us as often as possible. Whether it's for worship like this or if we're sharing a meal, don't have a separate kids table, let them come up with us. If we're studying the Bible or praying together or counseling one another, if it's not too sensitive, let the kids come with us. Children are a vital part of this gathering, not just because we want them to hear the Gospel and become followers of Christ. They are a vital part of our gatherings because they remind us of who we are before God the Father. Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 14, Let the little children come to Me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't saying that when you get to heaven, it's going to be this upside-down world where our kids are running the show. As much as you guys might like that, huh? <laughs> He's saying that they are an example to us of who we are. That the kingdom of God is handed over to us, little children. We are made children of God by the one true Son of God. And when we become children of God, He is our Father and the church is our mother. Notice in verse 2 that it says, Obey or honor your father and your mother. Both of them, father and mother. But in verse 4, He's going to say, Fathers are the ones responsible. Fathers are ultimately in authority. But you must, children, still must obey both father and mother. Spiritually, this points us to the reality of our relationship with God and the church. The church father named Cyprian was having a really hard time with a bunch of people who thought, I can love God, I can be a follower of Jesus and not have to submit to the church. People today say, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, so I don't need to be part of organized religion. But Cyprian rebuked them, saying, He can no longer have God for his father, who has not the church for his mother. He's saying, God is ultimately in authority, yes. God is responsible for us, his children, to save us, to provide for us, to give us everything we need. But he has given the church as the mother, the caretaker of us, his children. The church from all history. We cannot come up with our own doctrine because the church, our mother, people saved, saints from all over the world throughout history, rebuke us and say, you can't go there. 
The creeds hold us accountable because the church is our mother. So we all have, as the church, a responsibility to submit to the church, to help us submit to the Father and learn to obey Him, our God. And these kids here, when they gather with us, remind us of who we are before Him. We are utterly dependent upon Him for His provision. We're directionless without His guidance. We are foolish and ignorant without His instruction. And we are really stubborn without His correction. But under His fatherly care, we are free to be delightful children whom He loves to bless with good gifts. And He promises us a good long life in the land. So now let's go to our Father, along with these children, reminded that we ourselves are children seeking to obey our Father in the Lord. God, Father, we call you Father because Jesus died. Jesus, your only Son, who was always obedient, took upon the curse that we could receive his deserved blessings. And one of those blessings is that we can cry out, Father, Father. We can come into your throne room and say, God, Father, take care of us. And as we now, God, come to you to celebrate communion for the first time here at Redemption City Church, may we see ourselves as little children receiving provision from our Father. We ask for bread, and you are happy to give it to us now. God, I pray for these children that they would see, they would see the beauty of the gospel at work now in the body and blood of Christ and the unity His death purchased for us. Be glorified. May Your mercy and grace be ever-present now. Amen.